I'm Denisha Simpson. And I'm Joy McGowan. And, and we, we are Resilient, Resilient Black, Black Women. We are the co-host to this podcast, which is all about demystifying mental health for Black women, women of color, and women everywhere. Thanks for listening to the podcast today, y'all. If you like what you hear, share this episode with a friend. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We are so excited because we have with us the beautiful Miss Gina Clayton Johnson today. Um, and we're excited to just jump right in. Gina, can you tell us a little bit about where you're calling from right now? We're meeting on Zoom. So tell us where you are. I am located in Los Angeles, California. Hey, I'll be traveling to California really soon for a speaking engagement. So that is cool. Uh, wonderful. Actually, I should also say I am located in Pasadena, which is the, the, the origin place of Octavia Butler. And I try to make a point of explaining that to people because it's something we are very proud of at SE Justice Group. Um, and I, be, having grown up here, did not know this for the longest, which is a failure, I think, of the education system. Um, but now that I know it, I am loud and proud about it. So Los Angeles County, Pasadena, y'all. <laughs> okay, yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Okay, that is awesome. Gina, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your organization. Sure. And thank you so much for having me, Joy and Denisha. I just love, love, love the work that you are doing. And it's just an honor to be here. Um, so I, I, as you mentioned, I'm the founder and executive director of SE Justice Group. We are the nation's leading organization of women with incarcerated loved ones. Um, and so we're fighting on policy levels and local levels to really improve the lives of all women, but especially Black women because of the way that mass incarceration is showing up in our lives. Um, so when you think about who we are, and I like to explain this because it kind of, you know, it's for, for many people, it's a very invisibilized population it is the mothers, the daughters, the grandmothers, the girlfriends, the wives, the aunties of people behind bars, which um, are, are one in two Black women in the United States has a family member in prison because of the uh, mass incarceration crisis. I did not know that. What? One in two Black women have a family member that's right. Uh -huh. This was actually published in a sociology review um, in a Harvard journal um, called the Du Bois uh, Review. And um, the number that it put out was actually that one in four women has a family member in prison. But for Black women, one in two has a family member in prison. And when you look at that report, and I actually, you know, had a meeting with the authors um, of the report, um, like it was a, it was a, really beautiful opportunity to kind of dig into the research and the methodology. Um, obviously, it is a very esteemed like peer review uh, journal and, and, and report. But what we came to also understand in our conversations with the researchers was that it is even an underestimation of what is really going on. Because when I say one in two Black women has a family member in prison, what we're not talking about is jails. What we're not talking about is immigration detention centers, right? So it is a whole, this is impacting so many women and so many Black women in particular. I'm still like, I think my mind is still trying to process like one in two black women are impacted by this. So the work that you're doing, oh my gosh, um, what a blessing 
And I know that I'm sure that there's many times where it can be really hard. So for you, what do you feel like it just means to be resilient, black and female? Especially as even it relates even to the work that you do, right? Well, my work is both personal and professional, right? It is it is actually very personal. Um, I am a woman with an incarcerated loved one. I actually uh, started this journey um, as an organizer in Black communities in Los Angeles, uh, really wanting to work on issues of civil rights and race justice, um, and then was motivated to go to law school. But my first year, someone I love was sentenced to 20 years in prison. And when I would you know, kind of describe myself as a social justice generalist interested in any and every issue that was impacting Black people, <laughs> um, would it be education or, or healthcare or housing? What I came to understand was that the criminal justice system, by virtue of this personal experience, was actually radiating throughout all of these issues. And if we didn't really look at this, that we weren't going to be able to get ourselves anywhere. And so I really focused in and dedicated my life and my life's work to um, ending mass incarceration um, and reforming and transforming our criminal, the way that we do criminal justice um, in this country. Um, but your question about resilience is everything to me. <laughs> it's every, it's core to what we do at SE Justice Group. Um, SE is named after my great grandmother, whose name was Essie Bailey. Um, and after I graduated from law school, I actually started work in a law office, a public defense office in Harlem, New York, where I would meet women with incarcerated loved ones who, as a result of having someone in their life that they were connected to, that they loved, that they may be caring for and supporting, that they were then facing all kinds of consequences looking like, you know, um, uh, monetary and economic, you know, taking on the extra court fees and bail fees and all kinds of things that you end up taking on as a woman um, inside of a, a situation like that, but also the loss of income and having to make up for all of that. Um, I saw, you know, the ways in which the mental health and physical health impacts are very real. And, and after, you know, about, about a month of that work, um, in my first month, my great grandmother passed away. And it got me really thinking about the similarity between her, who is this resilient Black woman, and all of the women who I saw who were under attack by our system of mass incarceration. Um, now, my great-grandmother, she grew up in Louisiana. She grew up on a sharecropping farm. And um, she moved uh, in during the Great Migration west to Los Angeles um, in search of opportunities. And um, she built a foundation here that I stand upon and that many, many members and future generations of my family stand upon today. And I never had, even though I grew up with her and learning, you know, really learned at, you know, the, the um, you know, kind of at her knee, like I never had an opportunity to ask her what I would then go on to ask my grandmother, her daughter, which was, how was it that she did that, right? And this is the question about resilience. Like, how was it that despite Jim Crow racism, despite sexism, mm -hmm. despite poverty, that, that she was able to manifest the resources, the energy, <laughs> the ideas um, that she needed in order to get by and not just get by, but thrive, right? And build a foundation. 
And my grandmother, I'll never forget, I was sitting at her kitchen table. I asked her, how did she do it? And she looked at me like I would just ask her the most obvious question in the world. And she turned around and she said, baby, she had sisters. Mm. And that was it. And it was true. She had sisters. She had blood sisters who lived all around her in like a block radius so that when there was more month than there was money, she had sisters to help her figure out how to pay the rent. When there was childcare that she needed because she wanted to pick up an extra shift at work, she had sisters who could help her with that. When she just needed some emotional support or someone to talk to who understood what it was like to go in and out of white people's homes to clean them day in and day out, she had sisters who yeah. were there for her, right? And it was that network, it was that community that made it work. And when I think about what is mass incarceration doing to us as Black women, mm. what is scary is that it is isolating us. Why? It is keeping us away from one another and away from the sisterhood that has been our ancestral strategy for resilience for a long, long time. Okay, and that's, can, that's why that this is the issue we need time. to talk about. <laughs> That one part, one more time, what mass incarceration is doing to us is isolating us and it's keeping us away from the sisterhood, which is, has always been part of like our ancestry way of building resilience. Like that's, that's huge, Gina. That's huge. And it's so, like, I know we're talking about the criminal system and talking about like a very, like, um, a very specific way of how this impacts Black women in the criminal system and how the criminal system impacts them. But this is, really good for everyone. Like Absolutely. I loved your point earlier about how the, how, you know, wanting to black women have someone that they know who have been incarcerated and that, that in and of itself is isolating, right? I won't lean into my sisterhood if I don't think other people understand and get that story, right? That feels more shameful. That's right. Um, what would you add to that, Gina? You know, um, oh, you know, what I would add is that it is purposeful, that if we think about what is the point of incarcerate, if we think about what is the point of incarceration, it is to separate people from one another, right? Through distance, through bars, through concrete, but also through shame and through stigma. And we often only think about the separation of the individual who is being incarcerated. But what is real is that the isolation is experienced on the other end, right? It's experienced very much on the side of the woman who is who has the incarcerated loved one, but is left behind to manage families, manage money, manage systems, and do it oftentimes alone and beneath a tremendous amount of shame and stigma. And so that is that is the why. That is the why and the how of the isolation. The isolation is logistical, right? It is practical. Like I don't have any time anymore to connect and to tap into networks and to go out with my girlfriends or to do because all of a sudden I have to do all of this extra work. And I am incredibly sad and 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 men my mental health is impacted, right? Like that's the other thing. We did a national study a few years back called Because She's Powerful. And, you know, your listeners can look it up and read it. And I hope that it is, you know, both informative and encouraging. If you are most likely, uh, you are someone who has someone behind bars, like pick it up, read it, find something in it. But what we found was that 
86% of the women, thousands of women that we surveyed across the country reported that having a loved one behind bars is having a significant to extreme impact on their mental health. Now, when you think about that in combination with the, the criticalness of the leadership of Black women in communities, right, that is something that we should all be worried about. Everybody, not just Black women, everybody is, is, is in some way feeling the consequences of that reality. Um, and so that's what I would add. I love what you're saying, Gina, because that last point you just made, it doesn't just affect the Black community. It's everyone because Black women are such leaders um, in their community, in all communities. And so I love what you're saying. And I just have to go back to that point because I know I've seen Joy and I can tell she wrote it down because this quote is going to come up again in our podcast. It's going to come up again in our events because what you just said is what we really, truly always hope that our listeners get when we're talking about resiliency um, that it's not just bouncing back, getting back up and I got to keep going, but it's how can I navigate through this and connect with others? How can I lean on others when I'm going through this? How can I use my community? Um, and the way you describe that is beautiful. And if that's been hard for you, I, I really want to encourage us to think about this as not just being, you know, so understand that that is not that is not your fault right that is not our faults like that that's kind of my point is that this is systemic <laughs> that there are systems at play and policies and laws that are preventing us from having the community that we deserve which is each other and mass incarceration is a is a, is the culprit of our isolation and separation and so therefore the way that we must be addressing this is through community, is through organizing. And that's what SC Justice Group does, right? We we actually bring together, we break, we think of ourselves as isolation breakers. So we bring together women um, and black women in particular who are who are experiencing what it is to have a loved one behind bars. But we bring women together in a loving and powerful community first through healing, right? Our, we have a nine-week healing to advocacy program, which is our bread and butter program. And through that nine-week program, once a woman has been nominated into that program, um, she goes through a, a peer-led experience where she hears other people tell their stories and she tells her story, you know, when she's ready and she starts to put connect dots that like, nah, this isn't something that you need to be ashamed of. In fact, this is your voice is needed inside of movement spaces and policy spaces and your leadership is 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 something that we all um, want and desire and welcome, right? Like we're not a bunch of people who sit around and cry and <laughs> only, right? Crying is important, but like we're here to do something. And so we invite people in that community that's not a charity, but an organization of women leaders. And once women graduate the nine weeks, they are able and ready to be assembled into an advocacy force that can take on the bail industry, that can take on our sentencing laws and policing, um, and that can take on things like women's health care and housing, and because all these situations and systems are connected, right? Um, but we do that from a Black feminist lens. We do that focusing specifically on Black women because we know that it is the the, the expertise and not just the stories and the, you know the sad experiences, but actually the expertise that Black women have, particularly Black women who have loved ones behind bars, that will help us understand what should the liberatory strategies be. 
I'm just writing so many notes because I'm just like trying to soak up everything you're saying, Gina. This is just really, really, really important. I'm going to ask you um, to kind of define the Black feminist lens. Um, and, and then I just love, and I hope that like listeners and people who like run nonprofit organizations that are for communities of color, but may not be led by communities of color, um, with leadership, like I hope you can hear what Gina is saying of how she is empowering Black women and seeing that the people who that she's serving, she sees them as the experts and not the victim. She's like the way you're talking about the population that you serve is so, it's just so much more supportive than how I feel like, and, and it's probably because you're a Black woman, because <laughs> you're a Black woman leading this organization helping the community, right? Like you're not, I don't know, it's just not like a down, right? Like, yeah. Uh, so can you explain that Black so, feminist lens? Yes, I I wanted, so I wanna get to Black feminism because it's my, my, literally my favorite thing to nerd out on. Um, but something you said was really important to me, which is just how we, how we do the work of isolation breaking because it's hard, right? It is really hard. Um, and I, for a while I've, I founded SE Justice Group and at the beginning I was kind of, you know, <laughs> you know, you got to like wear the clothes for the job you don't have yet, but want to have or whatever the <laughs> expression is. People would ask me this question, like, how are you going to find women, you know, who want to sign up for nine weeks of a thing? And, you know, like people have, this is a group of people who are incredibly busy, who are all very accustomed to putting themselves last on the list right? And, and so this, you know, there's a fundamental flaw in your model was often kind of what I was hearing back um, early on in my early days. And I, I would say, oh, you know, there's 2 million people who are incarcerated, like 90% are men, there's a whole bunch of mamas and grandmothers out there, like it was not gonna be a problem. Like, trust me, you know, I'll hang a poster or a flyer. But the organizer in me knew that that was a lie and not, tr not completely, completely honest, right? I wasn't lying, but I was, I was not, completely confronting the reality of the challenge until I went to San Quentin and I found myself inside of this men's prison here in California talking to a man named Samuel and he started telling me he had heard about what it was that I was trying to do and build and he told me you know I want to tell you about my daughter who is incredible she is the reason why like this young black woman was the reason why I get up every day and feel motivated to stay in my programming. She's the reason why I have access to phone calls and commissary. She is the reason why I get visits. She is like, she is everything, right? And I, I want her, I'm worried about her not having community because of all of what this has done to her and to her life. Um, and I remember walking out of the prison gates that day thinking not just about how much I wanted to know her, right? Like what an incredible person he had just described, but how much I wanted her to hear what he had just said about her. I wanted her to, to hear that. And so out of that came our nominations process. And so today we receive letters from incarcerated people, actually from across the country <laughs> who write to us and say, dear SE Justice Group, you know, my name is Antoine. I'm incarcerated in Sentinel State Prison. And I'm, I'm writing because I want to tell you about my mother who is incredible. And these letters that we get are pages long love letters, 
testimonies. I mean, talk about a black feminist act, right? Like this is, these are testimonies of what women are doing. Black women are doing behind the scenes without any acknowledgement or compensation, right? To the benefit of everybody. And we have, we then have the honor of picking up those letters and reading them and then picking up the phone and calling the women described therein and saying, you know, hi, Ms. Mitchell. My name is Gina Clayton Johnson. I'm from SE Justice Group. And I'm calling to tell you that um, I know this is out of the blue, but um, I'm holding a letter from your son, Antoine. And he wrote to us to tell us how incredible you are. And I don't know if this is a good time in your day, but if it is, I would love to read to you all of what he has said. And that is our first isolation breaking programmatic touch. That is how we reach our people, right? And it's because of what you had said, Joy, right? It's because we don't approach this community building from a perspective of you are broken and needy. So come on over here, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. We, and that's normally how we're used to being connected with, right? A court told us or, you know, Department of Family Services told us or social worker is sending us over to you. No, we are coming to you because we hear that you are incredible, right? And we need your leadership in this place. So those first calls don't end without an invitation that sounds like we would benefit from knowing you, would you come? And that's how we build our community. So we see that as a Black feminist act, like Black feminist organizing is so much more than you know, operating from a theory and black feminism is, is, you know, a theoretical framework and an approach. Being black feminist doesn't mean that you are a black woman who is feminist. Anybody could be a black feminist, right? Like, you know how you see men wearing, I am a feminist. That's because it is a political orientation, right? And in my view, everybody, the entire world should be moving from a black feminist lens and a black feminist politic, because what it says is that we having read the Combahee River Collective Statement and all of the Black feminist luminaries that have come since and before, know that if we don't understand the world to be one in which that is operating from a place of sexism, racism, classism, and heteronormativity in a way that is holding us back, then we are not getting to the root of what is the problems are, and therefore we will never really be inside of solutions that work right? That is what Black feminism is. And so all of our organizing, all of our loving touches combined with our political strategies emanate from that political place. I love it. I mean, you're not just saying that like Black feminism is that we're looking at the solutions that work to kind of really end all the isms, all the isms that impact Black communities, Black women, um, really society as a whole, because we know that all of those things, racism impacts all of us, Black, white, or other, like, it impacts all of us because of all these systemic issues that continue to show up in our world, in our society. And then just the emphasis, right, it's not just that your organization is seeing that Black women are the experts, um, they are incredible. And you're asking them to come and join hands with you in this work, a really, like, revolutionizing what does it look like to I love that the nine-week program from healing to advocacy um, mm -hmm. it's just beautiful it's so beautiful what would you add Denisha um I love how empowering that isolation breaking of just reading that letter um that is so beautiful and profound that that right there does so much within itself but also just going back to the approach of 
you are the expert, you are great, you are all these things. And I imagine that taking it from that lens, that already like your shame guard that you may have up is already gonna start coming down because no one has ever come to you like that. DHS is telling you something's wrong. Um, the Department of Corrections telling you something's wrong. And so to just be seen through that lens, it's just, I don't even have the words other than how powerful and how beautiful the work you're doing. Thank, you, know, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Stop it. Thank you. Thank um, you for just, I mean, you also answered all the other questions that we had with just so beautifully without us even yes. having to, to bring them up. I'm, I really just feel so like so much like one I feel really enlightened about okay this is work that like I can also join in and be a part of this uh why don't you um, kind of tell us a little bit about that how can people join in on this work that you are doing um we can't come to the nine-week course like people all over the world are going to hear this episode so how can other people join in with the SLU Justice group a few ways, and I thank you for that question. One thing that you can do is just remember, and this is the general kind of appeal that I like to make, which is that if you are connecting a black woman to another black woman, you are doing revolutionary work, okay? Um, we have to take that upon ourselves as a daily project um, to stay connected to one another, but also to connect other black women to each other, right? Um, the other thing is if you are a woman with an incarcerated loved one, nominate yourself. Um, I described our nomination process um, in which an incarcerated person can nominate you, but you can also nominate yourself into this community. And we have online virtual cohorts. We have we have run our program 48 times. We've graduated 48 cohorts across 27 different states. Um, while we are predominantly located in terms of on the ground in person cohorts in California at this time, um, we welcome anyone from anywhere who's willing to jump on in a time zone um, that, that may may work for them. Um, so that's the other thing is go to our website, sejusticegroup.org to be nominated or to nominate yourself. Um, and then finally, um, follow us on social media. Every year before Mother's Day, um, we bail out Black women out of jails. And the reason we do this is because when we think about what women are doing, particularly Black women are doing in the age of mass incarceration, we are the reentry system of this country, right? When someone comes home from a jail or prison, it is a woman who is housing them, making sure that that person is make, you know, meeting their requirements with probation and parole, um, is helping with job resumes, and is really co-piloting with that formerly incarcerated person, and is deeply invested in the success of that. And so there's expertise there. We have collectivized that expertise, and along with the coalition of national partners, we now bail out Black women out of jails to prove and to show every single year that we can do this with great results, um, bring people home and keep people home and, and healthy, um, particularly when it's Black women showing up for other Black women. And so, so look for that. That that work is funded primarily by, you know, small time donations that we receive um, before and in and around Mother's Day. So feel free to be a donor to that or to any of our work um, via so our good. website. I'm literally putting all this in an email so I can put this in our notes because I'm like, I want to have links. People can just click to nominate themselves. I love the fact that this nine-week group is online. Um, and I hope that our listeners are listening to the the success that you've had. 40, you, you graduated 45 groups. That's 
That's huge. 48. That's right. Seven more to come this year. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. Again, amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, Gina, as we get ready to end, I'm wondering, Denisha, what closing thoughts do you have? Um, I'm just so thankful and grateful that I got to share this space with you, Gina, to meet you. Um, and I've learned so much and I feel so enlightened, empowered, and um just ready to join in your your vision and the work that you're doing. Um, I know I just want to also tell you that your great grandmother is so proud. She would be so proud of the work that you have done. Um and continuing her legacy with the foundation that she built. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you very much. Do you know what are your just like closing words? Like, what do you want people to remember to take with them? I just have so much gratitude for everyone that is taking the time to be, um, with and inside of spaces in which Black women's ideas and realness and vulnerability, imperfections and brilliance can all show up. Um, this this space is truly a gift, um, the one that you have created and is um, it's just been an honor to, to be a small part of a much larger conversation that, that you all are invoking into our into our world. And I thank you for that. And I just leave with a lot of gratitude. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gina, for being here. Um, We are both, like I said, truly grateful. I feel so like energized (laughs) to continue doing this work. Um, And yeah. And so I don't know. I I hope I speak for Denisha as I say this. We would love to have you back on the podcast. sometime in the future um to talk about anything whatever else you want to talk about it has been just such a blessing to hear from you to hear about the work you're you're doing um and then more so to just learn to learn about how uh incarceration impacts black women um specifically Mm -hmm. and I love how your organization is just so unapologetically supporting black women period um I really appreciate that so Thank you for being here. Thank you for the work that you do. And we just hope that you get all the rest and all the support that you need. Um, Thank you for reminding us like what it means to be resilient. Hey y'all, I'm Joy McGowan and you've been listening to the Resilient Black Women podcast. You can learn more about us and our work at resilientblackwomen.org. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend or two. Tell us what you think. We love reading your reflections and we hope you'll join us again. Bye, y'all.